Are you ready? Hey, this is Pat Buck, and you're listening to A Shot of Wrestling. On this episode, we delve into my producer role in WWE and kind of what goes into that. Me returning to the independent wrestling scene, and also I make my claim as to why I think Batman is a superior character to Superman. Enjoy. ready and willing i'm able and welcome to another exciting edition of shot of wrestling the interviews if you're not done so already make sure you follow us on all forms of social media at shot of wrestling on facebook instagram twitter and youtube you can also contact us via email at inbox at shot of wrestling.com or dial it up 619-343-3005 and leave your comments shot of wrestling hotline now we say it's time and time again that wrestling brings us together and today is no different the buck stops here because today we are joined by wrestler trainer road agent promoter producer and fellow podcaster the buzz killer pat buck welcome to shot of wrestling thanks for having me hell of an introduction my man you are awe-inspiring because you wear so many hats in the wrestling business uh, it, within your time, it's just it's, it's really been a treat of mine to get you on the show and really talk a lot about you know your contributions to the business. Thanks. I mean, contributions is an awesome way to put it. At first, like many of us, most of us who are in wrestling and probably those listening to the show that are in wrestling, you kind of want to just wear that one hat. You want to be a performer. So a lot of the other things kind of came from you know part survival, but part kind of realizing that. I don't know what the word is. There's a whole plethora of different ways to be successful within pro wrestling. Yeah. And there's going to be a time period where you can't bump anymore. So let me explore that now. And then I found that, you know, as much as I love performing and still my number one thing to do and no bigger high, I think my longevity will always be with the other stuff, if you will. Now you've worn many hats in, the, in your career. Uh, which hat do you find the most comfortable or most fulfilling for you? That's a tough one to answer because I hate I hate saying this, but or I like saying this, there's different ones give you different sort of retributions, different sort of highs. And mm. as a trainer, like it feels really, really great when you sit back and you see your students have their first couple matches or how they improve. And then when you see some of your students make it, you know, that are on TV as national stars or been able to put them in dark matches or uh, enhancement matches or whatever it may be that that's a feeling but then also being a promoter when you pack the house in and you know you know the locker room if you can have the locker room respect what you're doing and the crowd respect what you're doing and make a good profit with it i've been very big on keeping my reputation uh at a somewhat professional higher level because mm -hmm. i truly do care what the boys think and i care what the fans think because 
I just love anyone or anything that supports professional wrestling because I think we're we're a unique audience to ourselves and we don't really get a lot of love from other places. Yeah. So they're all different highs. I think there's no bigger high than being a performer. Like it's just that's the insatiable rush of being out there. But the number one thing is being a promoter because being or running a show in its entirety. You know, when I'm a producer with WWE, I'm focused on one match or two matches or a couple or a segment Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm running my own shows, you know, I'm kind of in charge of it all and I can delegate responsibility and I think I can do that really well. So like, I think it's my favorite thing to just kind of be at the helm of an entire show so I can affect the most people at the same amount of time and interact with the fans. You know, that's my favorite part. I think. Now you mentioned a trainer. There's a lot of names that you're associated with. With, um, Fill us in on some of the people that we may see on TV right now that you could put your stamp on. Yeah. I mean, I think, the last couple of years, myself, and I've been training full-time as a trainer mm-hmm. since 2012. I opened my my school in Jersey, but before that, I was kind of dabbling in FCW and, and an OVW2, kind of just coaching down there uh, and filling in for beginner classes. You know, the people that are on TV now, MJF and uh, Kristen Statlander, are doing, you know, incredibly well. And then there's a whole bunch of guys that are on the independents when, whenever we reopen back up that are, you know, I think a couple notches removed or close to getting their grips on becoming national superstars. Yeah. But those are probably the two ones that I'm, I'm synonymous with, but there's also been a lot of guys and girls over the years where I like to say, I put a coat of paint on them where they come back and kind of, you know, I didn't teach them how to roll or do a hip toss, but they kind of come to my school and like, they want to train, they want to learn, but I can kind of fine tune them and put a, put a polish on them or different character and go with them, you know, someone like Falaba comes to mind. And mm. um, Danny Moff gives me a lot of credit for kind of reinvigorating his career to go back to Ring of Honor. One, he was one of the people where I kind of really felt like I had to improve his mindset on, and make him believe on, on the skill set that he had and, and developing him as a talent. And I think that's what really motivated him to, to crush the independent scene and then end up with Ring of Honor like he's doing. Yeah, I think as a wrestling talent, especially in our area, you know, you may start one place, but it's really about getting the, the the bits and pieces from everybody's knowledge from their experiences that kind of will mold you into the type of performer you'll be down the line. Yeah. The one thing I love and hate is that and I try to tell guys this too. If you're an established performer or you start getting it, like don't be too many locker rooms. There's too many people trying to give advice. And I've never been that type. If you want to come to me and, and ask me something, I will talk to you. until I'm blue in the face. And, and that's hard for me to do because I'm not very talkative. But like, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are giving, I don't want to say too much advice, but I, I also try to teach students or teach whoever I, I come involved with that this is the way I think. This is the way other people may think. This is what I think a fan will think. And I try to present things from a, a multifaceted point of view where I feel like most advice comes from whatever that performer mm. likes. Mm-hmm. And that's something I try to avoid, you know, and, and something as mundane as hitting the ropes. You know, some people say you got to come off with your left foot, come off with the right foot, come off with both feet. And people will ask me stuff like, hey, what do I do? And I go, honestly, none of it matters. Hit the ropes as hard as you can. That's the only thing. Because yeah. someone's going to tell you this, but there's only I try to find the absolute fundamental things that are right and then tell them, like, look, you can do it that way. But this could be used against you one day, and here's how. So just because I've been through all those experiences, and it, it's kind of maybe an advanced way of, of presenting wrestling, but I try to set people up for success, you know? When you were growing up as a little kid, did you always want to be in the wrestling business? Yeah. Uh, 
there's a picture of me when I'm like four or five years old and I'm wearing like a Hulk Hogan sweat, a Hulk Hogan shirt. My face is painted like Road Warrior Animal. Wow. I have Ultimate, I have Ultimate Warrior uh, wrist guards on. And uh, my uncle, or he was kind of like my fake uncle, my Funkle, was a diehard <laughs> fan. And he would kind of take me to all these different shows. And, and I mean, I started going to shows when I was like four or five, which is crazy. And then I, like, I remember someone asked me this the other day. They go, what's your, what was the first independent show you went to? And I went, I don't know. I was pretty mm. young. They're like, what, in 2000? I'm like, no. I'm like, I went to ECW before it was wow. Extreme Championship Wrestling. Yeah. I went to Eastern Championship to see Mongo <laughs> Vile and the Tasmaniac. Uh, I was in the crowd when uh, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in Philly, when all the chairs started flying. I was nine years old. Oh, my God. And my, I remember my uncle and my dad were like, hey, we got to go. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's time to go. So I've always been a fan and I never – there's times maybe I checked out for a year or so, but mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be a wrestler. And, you know, I, I remember in high school, you know, not, not, not to maybe be a humble brag, but I was president of my school. I was on a bunch of different sports teams. My grades are really good. And, you know, they asked me – the principal was like, hey, what do you want to be? And I go, well, I'm going to be in wrestling as soon as I leave. I'm going to start my training. And he laughed at me and he goes, no, 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 really, what do you want to be? Like, no, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. You. And, yeah. and, you know, I stuck with it, man. And it, it only took 11 years to barely make an income, but uh, <laughs> I'm going into year 19 right now and I'm very happy I stuck with it. That's wild. 19. You're talking about giving advice. Uh, what is the one piece of advice that you think has still rang true in your mind? Who gave it to you and what was it? <laughs> hmm. There's been so many different people who have educated me on, on stuff over the years, whether it be like in ring, like Rip Rogers was really good with that. You know, Al Snow was really a vital part of my training in OVW for years and years. I was with him. Al was known for his technical ability, his, you know, that he had a great reputation of putting matches together. He could go. And he would just basically tell me how, like, none of that's really that important. You know, it's about getting over and staying over. And mm-hmm. then when you're not over, how to get back over. And it took a while and years for me to understand what that really meant. And just realizing that what we do in the ring is incredibly important. But it's about, to me, it's really about 20% of the big picture. There's so much more that goes into it rather than uh, the type of match you have. Like there's a whole other, it's only 20% of what makes a successful wrestler. And that's something that I kind of constantly have to remind myself. And, and I don't know if people really understand that. But I try to tell my students, I go, you know, we're, we're, we're training, you know, we're doing three hour sessions. How often do we do promos? And they're like, well, maybe we do it once every two months. I go, yeah, it's my fault. And we should focus more because how important are promos compared to wrestling? They're equal, if not more. Right. So, you know, that with your with your look and your networking and your reputation and, you know, all these different things go into a successful wrestler. It's not just the in-ring stuff. Well, let's talk about a successful wrestler yourself. Um, oh, I, I saw you about a year ago at Outlaw Wrestling as the buzz killer. Now this is the first time he's seen you in this character uh, with the cage on with the hat, <laughs> with the chainsaw. And I'm like, wow, like literally I was like, wow, what is going on? But you know, you're one of those <laughs> unique characters that really like just draws your attention from the moment you go through the curtain. So how did you get to that point? Because that's not who you always were. Uh, I appreciate you asking. I actually haven't been asked many questions like this. So I really appreciate you, you know, noticing this stuff because there's a lot of times where I walk through the curtain with this vest that probably cost me thousands of dollars with spikes on it and a chainsaw. And, you know, there's some times where I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if this is working or not. And sometimes where I know it's working, but anyway, 
you know, I, it came to a point where wrestling was booming, not booming. It was buzzing. Perfect word. Mm. And like, you know, 2019 and like, you know, I was, it was right before AEW kind of kicked off and, and I knew that things were on the uptick for wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I, I just had this thing where, and I said this before, I think PCO seeing him come back to ring of honor was really motivating for me Yeah, because of his age, because like, I don't know why I believed it, but for so long during my time period, I kept get, I kept being told that once you hit the age of 30, that chances are things aren't going to work out for you. And that was always kind of in the back of my brain for a long time, because that's what used to be said to a lot of us maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe about 10 years ago. And even as fans, and, that's what we would see. Right. You know, as far as people getting signed at such a young age or, you know, fizzling out, you know, in their late yeah. 30s. Yeah. Right. And it didn't used to be that way, you know, during the 70s and 80s and even 90s. But like, as it went on, it was like, okay, well crap turning 30 whatever um you know maybe i'll and then i found success promoting and training so i kind of said eh, i'll just wrestle for myself and then like seeing a guy that is essentially 50 something years old you know become a main eventer at a well-respected promotion i don't know what it was but it just spoke to me where it was like look man you can do all this but get out there again and i really thought about what's my what's my story and my story was i'm a guy that you, maybe you heard of maybe you didn't but but i've never made it i've never signed a contract it's like it's cool i have you know i guess most people will speak somewhat well about me and i've had positive interactions and created some stuff but i've never been on tv you know you'll hear pat's a great trainer you hear pat's a, a great promoter but mm -hmm. you wouldn't really hear pat's a great wrestler people don't know what I was or what I could bring. So I, I just built this character basically off of, I want to work all the buzzy guys in the independent scene and take it away from them. And, you know, just to prove that I belong. And that's still, that's where I'm right back to right now. So it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it was playing on kind of like a Tyler Durden sort of, you know, I put a lot of vignettes out there. If people want to check them out, they're on YouTube. They were from like last year and I'm redoing them now. Cause I have a new thing I'm going to focus on, but like the whole buzz killer thing is just like, I'm different from all you buzzy guys and I'm going to mm. show you and I'm just going to take it away from you because I never got my own break. And like, I'm bitter, you know, and I've always been better, <laughs> but it's like a lot of people for a long time. I remember having this talk with Cabana because Cabana one time he was, he was really, uh, he was like, Hey, do I sound bitter? And I go, so what, man? <laughs> I go, I go, I go, I've always looked at bitter as a good thing. And I've always looked at it because it's motivated me to like do more things like, man, I didn't freaking make it. Okay. Let me, uh, let me work a little harder or, or, you know, I, like I remember when I, when I, before I started promoting, I started working all these different, you know, shows in Jersey and New York and Connecticut and I hated them. And, and I'm like, I can't complain about this. Let me just try my own. So bitter created everything for me. So my character is bitter and part of it, I have a chip on my shoulder. So I was just looking to prove myself and, you know, buzz killer. I can also play on the horror in Chandra or, or the Mad Max apocalyptic thing, which I always liked that road warriors did and demolition did. So I don't know. I'm just trying different things out, seeing what seeing what uh, what fits. Are you a horror film fan? You know, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm really not. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with like the genre and the, the Chucky's and the Jasons, but mm -hmm. I'm not that. I'll watch them. Uh, I'm more of a I'm a comic book guy through and through. You know, I'm a die like I said, diehard Batman, diehard Marvel, and things like that. So I just try to always figure out different ways I can present myself and trying different things. That's what the Buzzkiller is all about. Well, let's talk about Batman for a second. Is he really the best, though? Uh, I'm a Superman guy myself. Uh, okay. So, so why Batman? I think, one, I like Batman because he has no powers. 
but he's labeled the greatest uh, statistician or the greatest uh, strategist of all the superheroes. So he's known for his brain. So I try to try to relate to that. I relate to Batman and this may sound corny, but <laughs> as you know, in professional wrestling, I'm not, I'm not exactly the biggest guy, you know, I'm five, ten and a half. Um, I think now I'm probably around 200 pounds. So you're in there with giants and superhuman people and superhuman abilities that people that basically look like they can walk off a comic book. So I've always kind of migrated to Batman because he had no unique powers. He wasn't a metahuman. He wasn't, uh, he didn't have any magic. He created everything from his brain. Now I know he had a lot of wealth too, but I also liked him because he's very serious and very stern and very dark and kind of has a a jaded upbringing. You know what it is too? I think Batman is better than Superman in the sense of he has better heels to work with. Superman did not have as good a heel characters to work with, in my opinion, even though I do like both, but I've always thought that the booking's been better for Batman. (laughs) We could totally get into a big conversation about that because it's funny these last few weeks, we've actually been talking a lot about that on the show on how, you know, it doesn't matter who that next big person is on TV, but who's that person going to be going off of? How is that story going to make it important? And if you have a good hero with a horrible villain or you're not investing in the villain, then me as a viewer is not invested in the story. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I think uh, I migrate towards that. Because on my my, list of things I kind of escape to, Batman's probably number one. Star Wars is underneath that. But then again, the booking is just better with something like Batman than it is with Star Wars. So it's like... I constantly think about how I can relate cinema to pro wrestling all day long. I think as wrestling fans, we could totally understand that. Um, I disagree with you, but that is okay. okay. I'd love to hear (laughs) why Superman. I'd love to, I'd love to get into this. Well, well, why don't we just move on? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You know, recently uh, you were with the WWE. We've kind of, breeze over that topic uh but i'm really interested more into what the role that you had was producer uh you know some may know what it what it entails some you know may just see it as a title but what was the role what is a role of a producer well you know it used to be called an agent and i think the job has changed over dare i say over the last couple 10 years but i think more so this last year and what I mean by that is this, that essentially every match you you have on television is assigned a producer. And But, but the way the jobs change, we're used to kind of think of it, because that's the way I thought of it, was a lot of times someone who's a little bit older, uh, who maybe is aged out of wrestling, you know, that uh, has a really sharp and creative mind. Outside of the performance center, they don't have a coach, so they are kind of coaches for matches. And there's a lot that goes into it. You're responsible for whatever match you're assigned for the show, but more so as a bigger picture, you're in these production meetings, you're, you're giving your feedback, which is something I really, one of my favorite things to do with the company. And like, I know a couple of people maybe didn't like doing it as much as I did, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, when, you know, the chairman asks you what you think about something, I'm going to give everything I can to kind of present my case and let it be known that I, that I really care about this. And I, and I think that, you know, what I think would be the best way to go about it. Now, it may not always happen. It may not always get used. But basically, a producer's role is we have, you know, a production meeting early in the day, and we're assigned our match. We talk about the show in the broad sense of the word, but then we get very specific. And then whatever uh, segment or match that we're in charge of, we give our take on it. And then we hear back from, you know, creative or management what they think or what they like or what they don't like. 
And then it's our job to relegate that to talent and then figure out a creative way to make this work, to achieve the goal. But then things change all the time, meaning that there may be a better way to accomplish what we want to do or a better idea. So like you're partially a coach and you're partially a middleman. So, but then at the same time too, you're, you're production producer, production, the word mm-hmm. you're producing that match. So like while that match is going on, you know, we're relaying the information to um, the truck, the cameraman of where pivotal moments may be of mm-hmm. where, um, or something goes awry. How can we avoid that? Or perhaps something happens where sometimes you got to think on the fly, or sometimes you have to have that skill set. A lot of us for the producer role, I'll say this. I think one of the prerequisites is being very sound wrestler, like being a person who who knows what to do in all situations. So there may be a situation where I'm producing a, a talent for that may not be that experienced. And if I see their deer and headlights look, I'm going to have to relay information to the referee to help them get through it. Gotcha. And that may that may work, that may not work. But there, there's things like that. There's times that I, my favorite part would be, you know, the hours before television when you're working with your talent. You get to show them different moves or different holds or, um, you know, different theories you may have. And it's, it, it's like a hands-on coach. And then there's also the other part of it, which is the reason why a lot of us lost our jobs, is because of live events. Now, in live events, we're in charge. You know, there, there's literally, when it's not Raw or SmackDown, when you do the live events, <clears throat> um, you normally have two, sometimes three if they're a combined show, but if it's like a raw brand show, which is what I was, you know, me and another producer, we're in charge of the entire events. So we got to oversee the booking. And the booking is essentially established beforehand, but figure out, you know, if everyone's there, put the card together, you know, check with production, make sure everything flows and writing reports and a lot of paperwork goes into this. So really, what kind all of these... paperwork? Well, I mean, every single live event has a report where you know we put our thoughts and opinions of 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 how the show went you know the crowd mm. the numbers you know financially things like that um and they're long and they're, they're they have a lot of information and when we when we press that button they go to every executive in the company you know producers were really highly respected which i really kind of liked i thought that you know the whole time there that have being a producer we were such a good team and but uh that's part of the reason why the jobs went away is because Basically, there was 18 producers. I think now there may be wow. eight. There's eight, I think. I think they got rid of 10 of us. But the reason being is because of live events. So, like, because there would be times where on Friday and Saturday, Raw and SmackDown are running live events in different parts of the country, and you need two or three at each of them. So, you know, you're not going to be on the road every single week in a row plus TV. So there's a rotation of things, and that's why that, uh, you know, and, and on tours, when we go on, like, European tours, or, like, when we go overseas, we're in charge for that whole loop. So that's kind of what a producer does. It's like a part coach, part chaperone, part uh, creative. It, it's you literally doing anything and everything. You um, mentioned um, you you were part of the presentation. You were coaching what's going on in the ring. Are you actually programming what the wrestlers are doing in the ring? As far as like, all right, uh, you're going to start off this way. You're this is how you're going to go home. Like things like that. Depends on the talent, you know, it really does. It like wrestling doesn't work with a sense of choreography. Like you do this, I do that, you do this, throw that out the window, unless it's something really, 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 really detailed oriented, Mm -hmm. but it's more of, you know, hearing what your talent are doing, you know, two talents may have this really, really great way to start the match. A lot of times as a producer, we have to figure out ways for them to maybe slow down a little bit, 
speed mm-hmm. it up here. Mm-hmm. Um, little dumb things that people never really thought of. Like if you, a lot of, you've heard this all the time, but you may have eight minutes for your segment. And then by the time you walk through the curtain, you know, we only have four minutes, right. something changed, something went heavy. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be surprised with the amount of time it takes to go to the ring to, to then have your entrance. Cause everybody has an entrance and then take your ring gear off and just basically there's always like a 30 to 30 seconds to one minute gap before you start a match. There may be situations where your talent is focused on their match, but then you got to kind of be in their ear to let them know, Hey, take off your gear very quickly because we don't have a lot of time. There's, there's like a lot of things that we kind of have to go into it. It's not like a paint by numbers thing, Uh but like it really depends on your talent. You know, a lot of times, and that, that was my favorite part too, because like I, I thought I'd go to 205 Live okay. at first, uh-huh. but then <laughs> I was thrown right into the mix of Raw and SmackDown. Yeah. But that and that's that's cool and everything. Like if I have, you know, I think one of my last matches was like Viking Raiders and Hawkins and Ryder. I know these guys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're all around the same age. We're all it, it's easy to bad ideas. But what do you do when you're in a when you're you know working with I mean top top guys? You know, I've I've had Randy's matches before. There's nothing wow. I can tell Randy Orton. You know what I mean? He's Randy Orton but he's so professional. He'll ask me what I think of something and I'll present him. Idea. What do you think of this? And he, I like that. It's never, that, I find that interesting. Cause someone that who does have, like you said, how could you say something to Randy Orton? You know, what would, was he looking for um, as far as feedback? I, I think it's just a level of professionalism that everybody, mm. I, you know, when I was putting together a match with, with a lot of different guys, they also know that I'm one of the newer producers. They, they just know how it works and they know, they trust that we're put in this position to know stuff. So they may go, Hey, do you have anything, you know, or, or what do you think here? And there's times where I presented something like, Oh, I like that. Or, Oh, what about this? You know, no idea is really a bad idea. Well, maybe some are bad, ideas, <laughs> but like if I've had time to think about something for a, for a long time, you know, um, you know, good, good person comes to mind is like a Jamie Noble. He's like an in-ring genius. Right. And like, he's responsible for producing Taker and Sean. So like, he's his creativity influenced that match mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like that's kind of the same way i thought about it too where i could throw hey my memory's pretty sharp for things like that and i'll throw it out there hey i remember you did this one time for this match what do you think about this and they go oh my god i didn't thought about that that's really awesome and i'll even say it. this isn't too you know sometimes i don't want to reveal everything but like i worked yeah. on the elimination chamber this year for the guys the tag team match okay you got so many stars and you got eight no more than that gosh how many teams were in there four mm-hmm. in the pods six teams of all established guys that like trying to put that together and make all these different things and i present ideas and a lot of them were used in the match and they were killer and they made the match so like that that's a different kind of fun feeling when you present an idea and it works and it gets over and you go home happy that day. Now I'm a media studies major in college and TV production was one of like my things, like really one of the things that I love. Um, So I kind of popped a little bit when you were talking about, you know, relaying camera positioning to the truck. How, How much influence do you have on that? everything really they rely on you yeah they rely I thought, on you. i always uh, thought it would have, you know as i'm watching the product i'm like you know as much as what's going on the ring is important but if those camera guys if they're not in the right spot and if the person in the control room is not going like camera two camera three now transition to this you know the whole story is blown here's my opinion the wwe camera guys are so incredibly talented that most of the time whatever happens even if there was nobody on headset they're going to catch it they feel most it. of the time 
However, I think other organizations, you know, it takes years and years to develop that skill set. And these guys have been working together forever. They're the same, you know, three camera guys that are that are absolutely amazing. But even with that, there may be things that, gosh, there, there's so many different things to relay, even if they are really great at their jobs. And a lot of times, too, I'm not so I think the, the camera guys can hear you when I'm conversing. But a lot of times I was, re, you know, producers relate to the truck, which is namely Kevin Dunn, mm-hmm. and, um, who's incredible at his job. Like he's so good at it. It's intimidating. But you let him know and you 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 let him know, hey, like this is going to happen here or in a couple minutes. And there's so many different things happening. you got to be on top of that, too, where basically like, you know, there may be some huge reveal that comes from the crowd. But you're not going to say that right away, but then you can't say it right when it's happening because then you might miss it. So you got to find the window of time to jump on headset to communicate that, but not interfere with the million things that are going on because they're talking to commentators, they're talking to cameramen, they're talking to other people in the truck, they're talking to, to Vince or Hunter or whoever's oh or Heyman or Bruce. So I have to, you know, hey, in a couple minutes, this is going to happen. I'll remind you when it happens and check out. So there's, there's a go. It's like basically like air traffic control <laughs> bro the anxiety that you must have uh, oh sure on tv days jeez now you, you know, met and- you mentioned a few names you know kevin dunn jamie noble uh you know all great guys who do you think made the biggest impression on you on your first days there the main person who essentially mentored me was john laurinaitis uh okay. he's basically in charge of us all the producers it, like the producers are his team and he's responsible for giving my job and it came you know there's a whole, whole bunch of different things that kind of aligns where I got this. I thought I was going to be a coach, basically. And then I found out that when Raw was going, you know, Raw's Monday and Friday was going to move from Tuesday to, to Friday, that they were breaking up the producer team. So mm-hmm. they didn't have, an, they felt like they didn't have enough guys. And they asked their current crop of producers, if you could recommend one, one to two, maybe three people, who would you recommend? And then it got back to me that uh, four of them recommended me. That's so... Amazing. Do you That's, know who they were? Yeah, it was uh, Shane Helms. It was uh, Sanjay. It was uh, Tyson Kidd. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, three. Maybe it wasn't four. <laughs> it was three people. <laughs> so those three kind of wrote, you know, and I think when Johnny saw that, and he knew our, my reputation, he knew me already, and he knew about the Wrestle Pro and the schools, I think he kind of went like, all right, three of the producers who are doing a good job here are saying this is the guy. So I guess you're you're hired. And um, that's what got it for me. That's when me and Lance were brought on. Uh, I was brought on a couple, maybe four or five months before Lance. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we were, we were like the last two, essentially. Oh, and MVP. But I think MVP is now main eventing. And, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he's producer anymore. I'm not sure. But I guess if you're part of the wrestling business, you're always going to be wearing different hats. Uh, yeah, you just got to be ready for anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever, is, whatever is in front of you, just kind of, you just go with it. When you got the call, how did, how did it feel? How, um, who did you tell? You know, it's funny because when I got the call, I was actually at the PC where I was guest coaching. I went there once in like March and then I went back there in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really weird because like the when I first went down there, you know, and, and I think it was an honor to be asked back to go back and coach. Absolutely. And when I left there the first time, they were asking me like if, I, if I'd be interested going overseas to coach for a month or like mm-hmm. at a time. I went, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I go down there and I'm coaching for the week and I'm working with – a bunch of the newer guys there, actually one of the teams that just debuted NXT and uh, Bloom came out of the office, Matt Bloom. Mm-hmm. And Raw was in Tampa that night. And he goes, Pat, you need to get out of here. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? He's like, uh, he's like, I don't want to ruin anything, but he's like, I think they need you at Raw. 
And he goes, he goes, I think this might happen for you. I go, okay, fine. He goes, do you have a suit with you? I go, uh, yeah, which I really have to stop at the store and pick up a few <laughs> items. Then you expect to go to Raw, and yeah. I'm not going to be in front of Vince without a suit on. So, yeah. you know, I go there, and it was actually the Raw reunion show where – talk about a horrible oh show to – where you're hoping to like have some sort of attention job because so much things are going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like there's Stone Cold and there's Hogan and there's all these things going on. Like, <clears throat> and then by the time I left there, you know, I was told, Hey, uh, Johnny told me it was going to happen. He's like, we're going to run some, you know, background tests and everything. And a couple of days later I got the call. I was actually at an NXT events. I remember I was sitting next to Sarah Del Rey and we were running the live event for, for one of the NXT house shows. Mm-hmm. I got the call and Johnny offered me the job and, she was actually the first person I told because she was right next to me and she was like so happy, but it's funny. She said a thing too. And I, I think she's like, ah, oh, she's like, I was hoping you'd be with us though. You know, like be a coach down there. Right. I thought I would be too. So, and then of course I called my wife and you know, I let everybody know. I think Kevin Matthews was the first wrestler friend I told. Wow. That's so. amazing. That's amazing, man. Well, you know, unfortunately because of the pandemic, you know, there were a lot of releases, uh, there were, and it, it, it was worldwide. You know, it was, yeah, of course. it wasn't just world of sports entertainment, you know, everybody's going through this, but you kind of mm. go through these emotions. What was your process like when you got the news of what was happening? Uh, a little bit of a shock, but we were at, I was at home for a while. And what happened was, I remember we got back from Saudi Arabia and we did a whole loop of TV. And I, I remember it was in Baltimore, I drove home and then everything started happening with COVID. You know, we were home for five, dare I say, four or five weeks, kind of like not doing anything. And because I'm in New York, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way that I would go to the PC. They, it just wasn't a lot. There's no, I would have been quarantined, whatever going yeah. on. And then there was a, the big town hall meeting where we all had to log in and kind of watch the meeting. And then shortly thereafter, you know, we found out everyone got released, me being one of them. Uh, I was shocked. I was kind of like, oh, I thought, I didn't think that would be a thing. I thought that, uh, just because not for me personally just because there's 27 live segments of television every week not including nxt just between raw and smackdown wow so you need a producer for every one or at least every two so it's kind of like oh my god i can't believe um and then i started hearing about you know the other producers that let go and i was kind of and i got i got the phone call too you know i i found out beforehand there was a kind of like a an email thing that went out like a text thing that all kind of hit at the same time you know, I was told, hey, you know, this is what's happening and I'm not furloughed I'm, as far as I, I I don't think I'm furloughed. I'm pretty much I'm let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of us did get that. But it was, it's also a weird thing where <clears throat> and basically they said, once we get out of this, you know, we'll we'll be in talks again, which I'd like to believe is true. And I do believe it's true because I think our team was really, really good. Our producer team. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, just what it was. So I, I went from a different things. I went from like, you know, personally, and I, I really didn't. I'll admit it here. I have no, I have no problem admitting it. But you know, I was in the process of buying a house. I had to pull out of it. Wow. Because I didn't know. Literally, we were a week away from closing on a house, and I just didn't feel comfortable to go forward with so much uncertainty. So mm-hmm. pulled back and staying in Queens. But I went through the gambit of a mo- you know, like being like understanding and then being a little, you know, upset about it. And now I've, I'm, I don't want to say bitter, but um, just using it to motivate me. You know, it's kind of like. I, I know I'm going to be in the wrestling business the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. whether I go back there or not, part of me right now, being 36 years old, I want to do more in-ring stuff. So I'm just going to focus on that and build my shows whenever I can and build my training. But it's 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 a it's a rainbow of emotions, dude. And I, I'm sure you went through it too. It's it's just all it's some days it's ha- 
it's it's blue and some days it's red so i mean I, we got into a heavy conversation on the show when things were going on and i felt for you guys because i was like you know here's something that happened to me and it was a personal matter uh you know everybody's going through it but you know you kind of continue with your family but here are you guys and everybody knows your business it's like mm -hmm. this list just came out and it's like here's a list of everybody who just got let go in the wwe and i was mm -hmm. like that's a whole different level of dealing with you know what's gonna happen in my future for me right and, and it's crazy too to see like you know again maybe i'm not used to it in this regard but to get the information and then like five minutes later you you see like you know all the different things on on twitter like i'm like wow how do people know this already <laughs> because i didn't know right away it wasn't like i found out my, my my producer peers were let go because they would they would text me or they would text our group chat but i'm like i didn't tell anybody yet and everybody knows that i'm gone so um it's just cra it's crazy how it works out that way how do you feel about uh the wrestling media dealing with information and leaks happening i think leaks are by design and I think leaks are, dude, there's been times where I was in meetings and I, I just didn't understand. Not only did I not understand how information got out, but why the information would get out and who would benefit. You know, there were, it was, it was, it was strange. It, it's, I think that it's really just done by most of the guys, mm -hmm. you know, no one has anything to benefit from things being leaked other than the talent, in my opinion, because if mm. you can control and if you can control a narrative and get the internet fans on your side, which I believe are the most important fans in wrestling, then you can essentially, that's, that's the pulse of our true fans. That's, that's what really, they're the ones that are cheering at WrestleMania or, you know, they're the ones like that internet pulse. It really dictates, I think the successful wrestler, especially nowadays. So like, I, I think people leak information. They kind of play things to get the narrative that they want other than that, the only the only other way I can think leaks happen is if someone's just being a complete fanboy hmm. and doesn't belong in the position that they belong in, mm -hmm. and they're just they're just giddy with the information. Because I mean, a lot of people, not for nothing, I've worked with them. None of the producers, none of the talent, but there, there's there's some people where they grew up fans, or maybe they're new to the company, and mm -hmm. you know, it, it, so you sometimes wonder about that because like ain't gonna be no producers leaking anything because we don't benefit from that right you know, why but if someone who doesn't want to lose tonight is supposed to lose in something and they leak it to the internet that they're getting buried or something or we've heard reports well chances are it's probably them <laughs> you know that they're trying to figure out a way to get people behind them that that's at least what i think yeah. no nothing's confirmed but like sometimes i think that it's it's 90 percent of the time i think it's the guys i really do gotcha Interesting. Uh, the internet fan base is a lot of the fan base that we interact with, that we're part of the community. Also feel like it's the ones that are usually at the independent shows. You know, WrestlePro and CreatorPro are two great companies in our area, two of the tops. And in the area that is so saturated, like our Northeast area, where there's so a new promotion like every week, or that's how it felt like in the past year. What do you find is the secret to the success you have had with Russell Pro and Creative Pro? Man, I, I, a lot of things can go into that. You know, I think for for promotion wise, it's just knowing what your market is. You know, I hate that sounds very kind of vague information, but I know if I run a show at the Raleigh Rec Center, which is like my main building, it's where my school is. It's where mm -hmm. you know we can fit twelve hundred people, and 
I, I got to give them something that they're going to want to see, meaning I got to I got to spend some money to bring in a lot of established talent and put in a lot more production to it. You know, if I'm running a Knights of Columbus, that can fit 200 people, which is something we do in Creative Pro. You know, we don't have to have the same kind of killer card. So I think it's a mix. It's a mixture. One thing is budget. Maybe budget might be the number one thing because that's why promoters go out of business because I would say 95% of promoters don't really make money in wrestling. So it's kind of, it's very, 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 very hard to, and it, it takes a long time to figure out how to budget yourself, especially if you don't own your equipment, especially if you don't have you know ties to a building. Being in New York, New Jersey, it's more expensive to do everything. Right. So it, it, it's weird. It, it's, it's, it's a whole different thing you know there and it depends on where i'm promoting like i can't promote a show in new jersey the same way i'll promote a show in alaska like there's there's so many different wide world of things i've had wrestling events that i've had them at bachelor parties i've had them at ethnic events that are greek festivals and and i gotta i gotta make a card figuring out what would relate to that community because people such as yourself people like me you know the, the fans that listen to this we probably want to see the cooler wrestling stuff but you know i ran a greek festival in Brooklyn, um, gosh, I don't know, maybe a, a year or so ago, two years ago, you know, they don't know anybody. Like, like, so you have to kind of create a whole show from scratch, and they're not wrestling fans. They don't care about Hurricanes. They want to see <laughs> Nikos Rikos is a Greek character that we had main events, and they kept asking about him the whole time. They don't know who he is, but they're like, oh, is that guy, is that guy here? I'm like, yeah, he's here. He's great. Every, every show is a unique, you know, unicorn. Um, these are some wrestling topics we just want to wrap our time with up. No audience shows. How do you think everybody's been dealing with no audience in a show? Is it good, bad? Who do, who, who do you think is doing it better? I think they're just dealing with it. Nobody likes it. Having a big crowd can also cover up um, the limitations of you know certain wrestlers that, that may need a little bit of more noise and a lot more things going on. Because with this, you're, you're completely every punch, every kick, every everything is magnified because there's nothing else going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're really, you know, I was watching a match between like Gulak and Daniel Bryan and they had my attention the entire time. And it's so amazing and fluid. Every the most strike recent looks, one. Yeah. The most recent. Oh one. my gosh. It was beautiful. And, yeah. I don't know. I just remember that. I remember that had my attention the entire time where like, I, I, I wasn't even aware there was no crowd there. I love that match that right. much. Right. So I, I think AEW is doing an incredible job of, I think they're the, reactions of the crowd of the guys there in the crowd mm -hmm. they're more orga they're organic and i yes. hope wwe embraces that because it, it it i don't know it doesn't feel like Seems a little I, forced. I, I, I recognize all those faces in the crowd from nxt because a lot of those were like the newer guys that i was helping helping guest coach mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel organic so i question whether I don't know if they're being told to react that way. I don't really, I, I believe it's more up to the person that they don't, for example, all those guys, all those guys in the AEW crowd, they're all, they've all been doing this for so long. They're all rest. They know what crowds are like and they know what to say where a lot of the NXT folk that are there, the ones that are in the crowd, at least not a lot of them came from wrestling. So I don't know if they organically know how to react as a fan. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I so, think in my opinion, I thought they didn't seem as organic, like you said, but I thought they were being playing it safe um, Maybe. Sure. because even as a fan being at a show, whether it be 20 people, 200 people, you know, if you're that one guy who's like wants to start a holy shit chant, you know, that takes a little guts to get out there mm -hmm. and be like, am I going to be out here alone or is everybody going to join me on this one? You know, and when right. you're on TV, I, I don't know if I'd be 
able to take that risk knowing that, hey, am I going to be that guy that's singling myself out? And is this the right time to do it? Oh, sure. So, I mean, I think they're tough, though. I just hope that I hope it all ends soon. I hope yeah. we can all go back to, you know. Well, it, speaking of, of it all ending soon, independent shows returning uh, post-COVID, you know, you're a promoter. What are you looking forward to or what are some of the precautions that you've been thinking of with putting on a wrestling show? It depends on where we're at when they really allow public assembly. So, I, I like, my gut tells me, for example, I brought up the Rawway, the Rawway Rec Center. You know, they could fit comfortably 1,000, 1,200 people. You know, I'm willing to believe that my first show, will I even be allowed 25% of that? I imagine two rows of chairs with distance in between them, you know, six feet, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And if, if it's, you know, I might only be allowed to have a capacity of, gosh, maybe 300 people, maybe it's 200 people. Maybe they're like only 150 people. I got to figure out how to make it work. You know, I just... I think once we're allowed that number for public assembly, I got to figure out what's, you know, the amount of money, the profit that could be made off this. And how do I make a show work with those parameters so I can do Mm. it again next month? You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, I want to say certain things, but so much can change. You know what I mean? I mean, we're all hoping for a vaccine. We know it's probably far away or maybe some therapeutic drugs, or maybe the, the curve flattens completely and we're done. Or maybe a second wave comes back. I don't know. know. So well, the one thing I'm doing, the first show on the books right now to promote Alaska, I think, is at 100% again, I think, or they're at 75 or something like that. So, that's like, amazing. So uh, that's the first part, the first show, I think, where we won't run into anything like that. You know? So Saturday, um, September 19th, WrestlePro returns to Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> For a sold-out crowd. Gotta ask, why Alaska? Well, what's out there? Uh, well, after a while of promoting... You know, my, my, my go-to guy, my best friend, whatever, when I was getting with WWE and doing more things and even working more shows, I was too, I don't want to say burnt out. I didn't, I couldn't delegate that much. So Kevin took over as Booker, Kevin Matthews, KM mm-hmm. from Impact. And he would always go to Alaska and he, he mentioned there was an independent show there in like the 90s that did very well. So he ran the financials by me and it, and it, it seemed like, hey, I've... Back to the gambling thing. I, I you know, <laughs> let's roll, let's roll the dice. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And the first show made a small profit. Not, not exactly too great, but it did something. The second show, not so much. Now we figured out, okay, what do we do right here? What do we do wrong here? And I think going into September, I mean, the first thing was we booked a huge building that was like seven thousand, eight thousand people. Wow. Uh, that that could fit, and maybe it was more. I can't remember. But, you know, we only drew 1,400 I mean, still good for an independent show, but right. not, not in a giant arena. So we found a better arena that's more cost effective, that if we draw that same crowd as we did the first time, you know, we'll be doing a lot, lot, lot better. And now also going back to figuring out your audience, you know, we brought a lot of guys up there. <laughs> you can gauge by the autograph signing. When we brought Mick Foley up there, uh, we could see everybody wanted to meet Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. It was a hit. But then, you know, when we brought back that show, too, we also had a lot of guys that were from more of the 2000 era, uh, a couple of impact people, and the fans didn't know who they were. So we realized that as much as, like, we want to make the card, you know, spectacular, what people may like and know in wrestling, that they're more fans of WWF stuff up there. It's just more current. Mm -hmm. Maybe now with AEW, and we do have a lot of AEW people on the show coming up, which is cool, too, because... 
in the States, I know a lot of AW people may be off limits or some people have different deals, mm-hmm. but Ring of Honor people are essentially off limits. But for Alaska, they'll allow it because really? who else is running Alaska? Gotcha. At least as far, that's what we've heard so far and kind of dealing with them, which has been really cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we might be sprinkling in, you know, some Ring of Honor talent up there because they're allowed to do international things. That's awesome. So Alaska and, and the guys want to, all the guys want to check it off their bucket list. That's um, cool that. You, you're, you're creating something that people want to add to their bucket list as well. Um, I remember when you posted about the first show going out there, I was like, yo, that is dope. That where we are in wrestling right now, that you know, a company's ready to go and travel, not just to anywhere in the United States, but Alaska and bring wrestling there. And it's, uh, well, thank you for that. But I mean, it, it's more, it's figuring out, like it, it's like, because at first I'm like, well, where do we get the ring from? Oh, there's a, there's like one or two one or two rings in Alaska. Okay, well, do they work? You know, I, I didn't do much of it. I can be perfectly honest with you. Kevin did most almost all of it. I financed it, but he did all the work. Like I was shocked going to that arena and seeing the production value. We had probably a similar production value to like a WWE live event, like the the lighting and the the videotron and oh my god, like I was not expecting this. And for the price that we were paying for it, you know. You couldn't get away with any of that stuff, you know. That that would have bought you, gosh, that would have been like a chair. I, I can't explain how, like, you know, it was affordable. Everything was affordable, wow. and and it wasn't so much that it was cheap. They were so they're like, we want to be a part of this event. We don't really, not a lot of people come out here to, mm-hmm. to do anything. I think outside of us and like Kevin Hart going there, who sold the place out like three nights in a row. But like, there's not a lot of things that like going to Alaska. It's too much travel and the weather, and you know, so. I didn't want anything to do with Alaska after it lost money last time, mm-hmm. but like going into this time, now we know what we're doing and I have nothing else to do really. So I'm back on board promoting and figuring out what we're going to bring up there in September. Are there any surprises that you could let us in on for the fans that you'll have at Anchorage? You know, it's like, I don't know if Kevin's confirming all the talent. So there's a fun one coming that we haven't announced yet that, mm-hmm. um, was one of the releases that, you know, I think is going to fit in very well. Um, and, you know, me and Kevin are going to be teaming on the independence coming up going forward and focusing a lot of energy into being a tag team. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, you know, I haven't told anyone this yet, yet but it just makes sense. And all, uh, part of the reason is I love tag team wrestling. I feel like I could be the, um, it's my bread and butter. It's what I know. It's what I like doing. Uh-huh. And secondly, like, uh, I also know that there's going to be times when I work for other places where I'm probably going to be doing some other job with that. So having a team, a partner kind of works better. But we'll be facing right now, cards up to change. Uh, you know, Kurt Hawkins going up there. So it'll be me and Kevin versus Kurt Hawkins and a partner. I wish I can give a clue, but Ooh. we haven't really fully confirmed it. But, um, <laughs> it's one of the releases. It's one of them. It's yeah. one of them. Okay. It's but it's not. It's not Broski. It's not him. It's not <laughs> someone else. Couldn't couldn't afford him. Okay. Okay. Well, there's a lot of great talent that just as a wrestling fan, we're really interested in seeing, and I hope you have a killer show out there. If we want to stay in tune with what you're going to be doing in the upcoming year, post COVID, post this crazy world that we're living in um where could we do that uh social media buck never stops on all platforms i've dabbled in the podcast world uh, I've, I've kind of checked in and checked out i've had some good partners and that's not so good partners but uh you know again since i got a lot of free time i started a podcast again pat buck show uh you can, it's also on youtube where we film gopro wrestling has been incredible with promoting uh the show and filming it and 
had a lot of fun interviews, a lot of stuff about booking. You know, uh, parts of our show is literally, and part of our Patreon, patreon.com, Pat, Pat Buck Show, is like kind of sitting with me and Kevin live um, and going over booking ideas and, and letting people, you know, there's not a lot of places out there that really let you know, like how decisions happen or where ideas come from. So we want to be the most like interactive in terms of what goes into promoting a show and running a show. So Pat Buck show, if people can check out and give a listen to. We, we don't promote many other podcasts on, on the show, but you got to check out the Pat Buck show. Um, one of the things that I recognize instantly is that you guys are still fans. You know, yeah. you love what you do, and it it literally when you're when we're watching you, it feels like you, you haven't lost that. Like you're still fans at heart. You love professional wrestling. You love the storylines, the characters, everything that we're all thinking. You guys are saying. Um, so it's definitely a great great view. And go pro, man. They're doing a great job putting it up on YouTube. Oh God, they're they're great. They're I underrated. Want I would. I, I want them. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be lost without them. I don't know how they put up with me, but they're uh, they're great. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, sir, for joining us on this episode of Shadow Wrestling. But stay tuned because we still have last call. Hey everybody, this is Pat Buck, and thank you for listening to my interview on the Shot of Wrestling. And if you like shots in wrestling, well, then you should listen to a shot in wrestling on Spotify or wherever you can find your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I need to announce it's last call at the bar. All right, everybody, we have made it to the end of the episode, and it's last call. We're still here with the buzz killer, Pat Buck. Pat, it's rapid fire questions. The first thing that comes to your mind is the first thing you will answer. Are you ready? Let's do this. (laughs) Well, then away we go. Who was your markout wrestler growing up? I'll go with Sting. Sting's probably the, the main person that made me go crazy. Nice. Uh, what fictional character would you like to wrestle? Mm, that's a tough one and an easy one. I'm a Batman-obsessed person, but I think it's more so because I want to be Batman, so then I would have <laughs> to go with, I guess, Joker's top-notch, but I'm going to pick uh, I'll pick Bane. I'll go with Bane. Ooh, nice. Whether professionally or personally, what is on your bucket list? Oh, man. I think professionally run a show in every single state. Mm. Um, and I think personally this year, once everything starts to reopen, I'm actually going to set out to do that because I haven't, even though WWE, I pretty much went almost everywhere. I didn't wrestle in every state. So like, that's going to be my new short term bucket list of getting a match in every single state. And I'm looking to do it within the next two years. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Who is the one individual in your life that challenges you the most? Probably my wife, you know, um, she's a thousand times a better person than I am. Uh, she works in a children's hospital. Oh. So when I think when I think about working and creating in this world of spandex where we essentially fight but not fight, dealing with seeing her deal with her job makes reminds me of how much a better person she is and how I need to take it less seriously. Com- so, yeah, completely sorry. understandable. <laughs> Other than wrestling, what is your favorite sport? To watch football, to play lacrosse. Interesting. Uh, what do you consider to be your prized possession? Gosh. Oh, Lord. Uh, actually, you know what? Right next to me before I go to bed at night, I got this poker chip that I won a long time ago. I, I mean, I, I, want, I want to say it had to have been over 10 or 15 years ago. And I've always kept it as a good luck coin. It's right next to my bed. So if that's one thing, that's it. Awesome. 
If there's anyone dead or alive you would like to share a drink with, who would it be? That would be my mom. I lost her in 09 uh, to breast cancer. That would 100% be my mom. Mm -hmm. And finally, what is something you've learned about yourself during quarantine? I've learned that you can still make things happen. Uh, I set a couple fitness goals that I've achieved without a gym, and I can't believe it. So, um, yeah. Well, great. Pat, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of A Shot of Wrestling. There's a lot of great new things coming in your future. Uh, You've kept us informed a lot of them. um, So we're looking forward to seeing what comes up in the next few years for you. Stay in touch, my man. I will. Thank you. Hey, baby, I hear the bell ringing, hip tosses and body slams. Oh, my. And maybe you seem a bit confused. Yeah, baby, but I got you pinned. Ha, 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 ha. But I don't know what to do when I see them with that golden case. They're cashing it in. Authority all in my face. What is a man to do? Good night, everybody. <laughs>